All right, so speaking of jam this morning, week six of our series, we have Sean Taylor in the house. Let's give Sean a warm welcome as he comes to preach. All right, all right. Good morning. Did you say speaking of jam because I'm a little soft in the middle and kind of sweet? That'd be more like jelly. That's a jelly? Yeah, that's jelly. All right. <laughs> Hashtag dad bod. All right, how's everybody doing? Good. Let me open up all my technology, start the timer, hit this thing, boom, there we go. Well, good morning. I'm Sean. Nice to see you if I've never met you. Um, I get to, uh, it's really neat today, actually. I get to worship. My daughter was playing the keys this morning. Not this one. Uh, that's, not, that's not my daughter. That's Becky <laughs> over there. And my niece is playing the violin. Uh, and one of my favorite students, former students, is playing on the team as well. Let you guys fight about who that is. So... Um, just, just really stoked to be here. Uh, I do a lot of tra- travel for work now. I work for two years this week. I've been working for Logos Bible Software. And so last year I was on 95 planes flying around the country, flying around the world, speaking at conferences. Um, I did 110,000 miles. And um, I'm going to tell you of the 40 plus cities I was in this year, there's no better place to be than home. Amen. I just, uh, I think the more I leave, the more I want to stay home. And I'm very grateful for North County Christ the King. And every Sunday morning, my family sits over here at the nine o'clock service. So I've not met some of you because we don't, we don't sleep in that late. We, we, get, we go home and nap. So, um, just teasing. It's funnier in my head. Um, it's always funnier in my head. So, uh, we're talking, uh, we're going through the book of Colossians as a church. Last week, Pastor Kurt talked about being rooted, uh, in, in Christ and the life of, uh, uh the, the benefits of putting your roots deep in Christ. Uh, this week we're gonna jump into Colossians chapter 3. And all I'm gonna do to begin, because we're gonna kinda teach through this section of scripture, is I'm just gonna read the passage that I'm gonna teach from. I'm just gonna give it to you in its entirety without explanation. And then we're gonna kinda dive back into it and pick up some nuggets. But I want to give you the big picture because there's a big picture going on here, okay? So if you have a Bible, you can open it to Colossians 3. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but don't worry. I want it to like sink in. So you don't even need to open your Bible. Just let the Lord speak to you. Um, some, I heard someone once say, uh, why can't I hear the voice of God? And, and the pastor's response was, uh, God gave you his Bible. No, I want to hear it audibly. And the pastor responded, read your Bible out loud. Um, so I'm going to read the Bible out loud. Let you hear the voice of God uh, <clears throat> through this puppet. So here we go. Colossians chapter 3. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following, anger, wrath, Malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on your new self. 
You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. And in Christ there is no Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord forgave you, so are you to also forgive. And above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. I'm going to just pray. And I'm going to ask God to like speak to us in, in the deep places of our hearts today. You okay with that? Lord, thank you so much for um, this day. Thank you that we get an opportunity to come and hear your word. I pray, Lord, that your word would transform us uh, in ways that we never thought possible. And that today we would find deep satisfaction in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, the, when I was working on this message, the question that came to my mind was, what does it mean to be free in Christ? Uh, we ask, I've heard this my whole life. God wants you to be free. Christ died to set you free. And I'm like, I don't feel free. I feel trapped in uh, jobs. I feel trapped in my anxiety. I feel trapped in my depression. I feel trapped in my worries. I feel trapped in my house. I feel trapped to this debt. I don't feel free. I feel trapped to this sin. And so what does it mean to be free? Well, what Paul is going to do in this text, he's the author, by the way, of this letter to these people called the Colossians. What Paul is going to do is he's going to uh, show us how to live freely in Christ. He's going to show us that, okay? So that's what we're going to do this morning. And it's, it's interesting because he begins his, his, this part of the letter very clearly by saying, this statement, what we set our minds on determines the direction of our lives. What we set our minds on determines the direction of our lives. Paul begins the text saying this. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above. If you've been raised with Christ. So the assumption at the beginning here is you have made Jesus Lord of your life. He has come into your heart. You are following him. That is the assumption. That is where we're working from. I think like it, like, like going to the gym. I haven't lifted weights in a while because I've, I've had some old man pain. And so when I go back, it's going to not be benching the 235 that I once had a dream that I benched. <laughs> right? Because I'm starting from a place of weakness. But Christian, you are not starting from a place of weakness here. You are starting from a place of power because the spirit of God is actively working in you. The assumption here isn't that you've earned your way. The assumption here is that Jesus made a way possible. That's what's happening in this, in the opening part of this passage. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, not pushed down in your sin, but raised with Christ. And then he goes on to implore us. He says, here uh, in Romans 6, we know our old self was crucified with Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, I'm taking the power of sin back. I'm, I'm taking it away. I've been crucified with Christ so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. So that we may no longer 
be enslaved to sin. So Jesus has removed the power of sin over us. The question then is, why do I still struggle with all my sinning? We're going to get into that. So if you've been raised with Christ, we're implored then to seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So this idea isn't um, that you've got to go out and find your own strength and power to make, get it done, right? The power is where do I put my focus? And, and we're implored to seek the things above. What does that mean? Now, when I first read that, I thought, oh, that, does that mean that I'm just supposed to think more churchy thoughts? Does that mean I'm listening to the wrong music on Spotify? Does that mean that I need to think about clouds and harps and all sorts of inaccurate pictures that we have of heaven? No, that's not what it means. To set my mind on the things of Christ means to go to Christ's word first and let God's word begin to build in me a worldview. The problem is a lot of us these days have so much different sources of information that we're letting the culture shape our worldview and we're trying to pepper some Bible in there. And what that's going to give you is a limp in your faith. It might even bring death to you because the world does not define the status of the world. The word of God, God's word defines the world that we live in and the people who live there. And so I set my mind, I set my, my heart at his word. I don't let Facebook do my devotionals for me in the morning, right? I don't let somebody's like picture of a cute little verse with some nice graphic design be the extent of my quiet time. I'm going to set my eyes on God's word and let that empower me to live the way he's called me to live. No right playlists, no amount of positive posts are going to do what God's word was only intended to do. C.S. Lewis says this. It would seem that, that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum... Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. You know, I think our dissatisfaction sometimes with the day-to-day aspects of our faith is not because we have our standards too high. It's because they're too convoluted and we've settled for less. I'm good with just coming to church and singing some songs and letting someone tell me how to live my life. But the rest of the week, I'm just going to live how I want to live. There's no satisfaction in that. In fact, that's the problem that the Colossians were facing, right? They were, their understanding of what God wanted them to do was so convoluted because the culture was shaping how they understood the Bible instead of the other way around. And the reality is, is I'm, in my own life, I've settled for less. I've settled for less in my faith. If the Word of God is living and active, sharper than two and a, two, two, a double-edged sword today, Junior, a double-edged sword, able to pierce through joint and marrow, then when I open the word up, it should speak. The problem is, for a lot of us, myself included at times, our walk with Christ can feel like drudgery. It can just feel like another thing that I have to do. But honestly, if you're approaching your faith, setting your sights on the world first and what it seemingly has to offer, and Christ second, you will always be dissatisfied. 
in your walk with Jesus. You will always feel confused about what is right and wrong. You will always be hungry because you've settled for less. I love to build stuff. I'm always in my shop or driveway and then in the garage and then in the house. My wife would like it all to stay in one place building stuff. And when I come in at the end of the day from building, I'm messy and gross, right? But if I just threw a tuxedo on over that, over that and called it good and took my wife out on a date, I'd be missing out, right? She would, it would not be, this would not be all jelly. You know what I'm saying? It's really cute. I like that. But the reality is, is I got to clean up. Now, the beautiful job of Christ is that he did that work for you and me. But now we got to bring our lives in alignment of the work that's already been done. Real relationship with Jesus is saying, you've done this thing and I want to be a part of it. Thanks, Kurt. One person gets it. (laughs) Jesus, Jesus said this, but seek first the kingdom and of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added. If my income is my highest priority, if my comfort is my highest priority, if my own satisfaction is my highest priority, then I'm missing the mark. And so this in Paul imploring you and me to set our sights on the things of heaven is actually an encouragement Don't settle for less, he's saying. Step into the riches of God's mercy. In Romans, we're we're implored to say, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing in the perfect will of God. Relationship with Christ requires a change of mind, requires a different way of thinking. And when we align ourselves with God and let his word influence us, then transformation and change comes. So he goes on to say, don't set your mind on earthly things. He says, but you died. When I came to to faith in Christ, I said, no more to self, no more to me being first. Jesus is going to be the king of my life. And I died. I, I went, I was baptized and I came up out of the water like Christ was risen again. So you died. Consider that old life, death. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That means that when you step into that relationship, you are protected by God. He has brought you in to his covering. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. What he means is there is a promise of better days to come for you and me. That this life is a shadow of the one to come. This 80 years on earth pales in comparison to the eternity in the presence of the king. I might know in part now, but someday I will know in full. There is hope in in this. So it's based off of this sanctifying work of Jesus in our lives, the power of God through his word and setting our sights on those things that we can step into the rest of the passage. The next part, the next point this morning is this. Christians have to take severe measures to conquer sin. Now, the power of sin was taken away when Jesus died on the cross. But we all still struggle with sin, don't we? How many of you like sinned against your children this morning when they weren't ready when you needed them to be to get to church? Right? 
person that's laughing in the back, they really messed up today. (laughs) Therefore, Paul says, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, right? So he's using some strong language here. We have to put a certain behavior, a certain way of living to death. Whenever I think about the deathly nature of sin, I think about this, uh, what is that thing called? Ferris wheel. Uh, this is actually in Chernobyl, uh, over in, uh, Russia. All right, Chernobyl, it like, the whole town like melted down when there was a nuclear leak and everybody had to abandon it. And this whole place is incredibly radioactive and it's abandoned exactly the way it was left. What is that now? 30 years ago? I look at this. This, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Ferris wheel, thank you. I go to the fair. I look at this Ferris wheel and I go, that looks like a good time. I want to sit on that Ferris wheel. I want to take it for a nice slow ride. It's not going to make me puke. I want to enjoy the beautiful view from the top. It looks like a good time. Except this Ferris wheel is, is contaminated with radioactive material. There is no way I would ever go ride that Ferris wheel. Do you know why? Because even though it looks like a good time... I would get tumors and cancer from all the radiation that is there. None of us would say, I'm going to go for a ride on that Ferris wheel because of, of what the side effects that would happen as a result of it. And, and that's sin. You know, it looks like a good time through this picture. But when I play with it, its results are radioactive. And it develops a cancer. And it might be slow. It might not be stage four like that. But it develops a cancer inside of me. And Jesus didn't come to die so that I could keep sinning. He came to die so I could live a better way. So I can experience greater freedom. And so don't let the lure of an empty promise fill your soul with the cancer of sin. Avoid it like the plague. Right? Philippians, Paul says, their end is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on the earthly things. I want to back up just a a bit because I wanted to say a little bit more about this. When he talks about putting to death, he talks about sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed. And when I was doing a word study, as I was going through, I was reading all the words in Greek. And I don't read Greek. Um, I can barely read English, but I have a little computer program, and I click on the word. It tells me what it means. And uh, when it, that word sexual immorality, it's actually, in Greek, it's the word porneia. Porneia. It's where we get the word pornography or porn from. Um, and that sexual immorality means any sexual act outside of marriage. Any sexual act outside of marriage. Now, you might have already put that together, but it's important that we understand that because we live in a kind of a gray world nowadays where we can, we, the question isn't how pure can I keep myself till I'm married, but how much can I get away with and still be okay with God? But that is walking into slavery and that's settling for lesser things. We got to kill that, that kind of thinking. We got to kill the notion and understanding that, hey, a little bit of pornography doesn't affect anybody else but me. Because it's a cancer that we're playing with. It's radioactive and it's eating us up from the inside out. So when he says put these things to death, 
He's being very specific about what kind of things. And these six things that he lists here, these have to do with what's inside of you. Put to death these things that are going to eat you from the inside out. Some of you can't scroll Instagram without feeling envious of how everybody else is living their lives. You can't go through Amazon without feeling an overwhelmed sense of greed. I say you, I mean me, right? And yet we, we feed those things and to put those things to death means I might need to do away with some freedoms in my life because they have a grip on me and they've created an unhealthy worldview that I'm living my life through. Why is it important to kill those? Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. But don't worry, Paul is giving them some encouragement. You once walked in these things when you were living in them. One of my favorite theologians is a guy named John Owen. I bought like three shirts this week with this saying on it. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You can't have it one way or the other. I can't have a little bit of faith and a little bit of sin and expect to get out of this thing unscathed. Be killing sin or sin will kill you. Colossians 3 continues, but now put away all these following things as well. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you've put off your old self and all of its practices. Now these are the kind of sins that deal with how we treat other people. For example, I was looking at that one filthy language. I grew up on a farm. I know a lot of my kids call it shop language still. Sometimes say things I should not say. Anybody else here say things you should not say? But this, this text, when it's talking about filthy language, isn't the words you use, but the intention behind them. When they talk about filthy language here, he's talking about cutting people down with your words. So you might be here going, well, I don't struggle with that, so I'm good. But the reality is, is that if you get cut off in traffic or somebody posts something you don't like, we all struggle with filthy language, right? We all struggle with things that cut other people down. And so... One set of sins that he lists is in the heart. It, it, it eats us from the inside out. These eat us from the outside in. These have to do with relationship, especially, like he's going to say here, among the body of believers. Put away these things. Put off the old self. Whenever you see in um, reading the Bible, whenever you see a phrase repeated or an idea repeated, it's really important that you understand it. So far, the idea of this letter, this part of the letter is put off sin, put to death, put away the following, put off the old self. And then he switches to putting on the new. But we'll get to that in a minute. A couple weeks ago, my buddy Tyler put on my uh, wall, he posted this. If you live in a pastor's home, you have the right to remain silent because anything you say or do may be used in a sermon illustration. <laughs> so let me tell you about my sister. A couple years ago, my sister moved in with us. 
And when she moved in, she was looking, she just moved to the area, was looking for her job and things to do. So we decided, hey, we're going to give her something to do. And we lived at a house at the time that had a lot of flower beds. So we asked her, would you go out every day and, and weed the flower, or every week and weed the flower beds? Now this was like, not like a 20 minute job. This was a good four to six hour weeding endeavor. So my sister went out there on a sunny Saturday and started pulling all the weeds. And then the next week went out and they're like weeds came back in greater force. And so she started pulling them some more and and came back the third week and the weeds had come back in greater force and she became really frustrated with the resurgence of weeds it's like it's like they weren't even pulled they were coming back stronger than they were before right and then the lord spoke to her in the flower bed in front of my house and this is where my sister came to her faith the lord said your life is like these weeds all you're doing is breaking them off at the ground level you haven't pulled them out by the root. And you've got to uproot these things so that they don't, they don't come back again. Some of us in the room have been Christians for 20 years or more. And the reality is, is that we have still have some roots in our lives from the sins that we struggled with as teenagers, as kids. We, we've let those things fester. Some of us in the room have prided ourselves in our good living and our green lawns only to go inside and yell at our wives, provoke our kids and disengage from our families. We got to talk about what's on the inside because only in those times of change and transformation can God begin to work on the outside. We got to pull life up by the roots. Thanks. So then... Paul goes on to say, but you, Christian, have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. I like that he uses this phrase, renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. Because in Colossians chapter 2, Paul is trying to help these Colossians who have so many different people telling them all sorts of different things on how to be a good Christian that they're confused. And Paul is saying, it's not about what books you read. It's not about what things you do. It's about where you set your sights. So come back to the word of God. You're made in God's image. You are created by hand, by God. So since you're made in his image, let him renew your mind through his word. Paul is pointing them back. Turn off the filter of culture. Stop looking at the world through the, stop looking at God through the lens of culture and start looking at God through the lens of his word. I thought that was cool. And then he concludes this text by this part by saying in Christ, there's no Greek and Jew, no circumcision and uncircumcision, no barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. He's saying the word or God's love isn't, uh, doesn't discriminate against you for any reason. Now, the Greeks, they were kind of a prideful, self-centered people. They were the epicenter of the world and world culture. They had all the majority of the shows on Netflix. They were like the real deal, <laughs> these Greeks. And they looked down at other people pretty easily out of their ignorance and pride. In fact, we get the word barbarian because Greeks said, anybody that's not a Greek says bar-bar, like, and it's like baby talk. 
And so they looked down on other people that weren't Greek. And yet Paul is saying, this is a word for everybody. By the way, the Jews were doing the same thing. They were looking down on anybody that wasn't Jewish. And he's leveling the playing field here saying, this is a word for every single person. Regardless of race, creed, background, or age. Regardless of your past sins or your future ones. Regardless of your successes or your failures. This is, this is for everyone. And so now how do we live? Because of the victory of Jesus' death on the cross over sin and death, we can freely live out our heavenly calling. What does that mean? Let me, look, let me show you. Paul, again, comes and encourages these guys and says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Do you like that? You know, sometimes I think about, like, when I come to God with my sin, that he's, like, just ready to, like, smite me. And so that keeps me, like, hiding from him, right? It's like coming before, like, a parent that's hugely disappointed in you and doesn't want anything to do with you. But Paul is reminding these people, when you put this stuff off... You got to know it's because you're chosen and dearly loved. God loves you. When Adam and Eve realized their sin, they hid in shame from God instead of coming into relationship with Him. And the same is true for us. If we hide in, if if our um, if the conviction of our sin leads to shame, that's not from the Lord. That's of ourselves. But when we realize our sin, that should bring us to the feet of Jesus and know that we are chosen, holy, and dearly loved before him. And because of the work of Christ, Paul then says, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, put on patience. He says, you want to bear with one another. In love. Forgive one another for anything, any grievance. Did you guys notice that it snowed this week? I was trapped in my house for so long with my children. And my kids are amazing. Don't get me wrong. I love them. But when you're trapped and you got snow piled up against the doors and you just can't even get out, you're like, dear Lord. Will we survive Snowpocalypse 19? But because I knew I was preaching this message, I made sure to practice all of these things like a good Christian all week long. It's my fault. No, but we... This, I want you to think about these things that, that we're getting asked to put on. Not as like, oh, I've got to put away these things and I've got to put on these things. I've got to stop doing bad things, the fun things, and I've got to start doing the good things. Because that's not true in God's economy. God, God has a better life for you. One that's free of, being, of your everyday being conditioned by your circumstances. One that's free of your life being dictated by the job that you clock in and out of. One that's free from the guilt and shame that you've like placed upon yourself. Like, there's a better life to live. And, and when, when Paul says these, put these things on. He's inviting you to make a change. I don't just put things off to, to stop doing them. I'm making an exchange. I'm going to, to put off anger in exchange for peace. 
I'm going to put off fear in exchange for confidence. I'm going to put off hard-heartedness in exchange for compassion. I'm going to put off cynicism in exchange for kindness. I'm going to put off pride in exchange for humility. You see, God doesn't want you to dress up a turd. God wants you to free yourself of the very thing that takes you, that holds you back. Because all you're going to do if you try to polish up the mess is you're going to live duplicitously. You're going to live a double life. And that's not the life that Christ has for you. Some of us in this room today feel very discouraged by how, by the drudgery of our day-to-day faith. And that's, I want to contend, because we've just tried to live our lives the way we want to live it and sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on it. But there are greater things for you and me. There is a greater life for us to live. And it begins here in his word. I love how he, 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 he goes on to say, beyond putting on these things, bear with one another. That means stick out, stick, it, stick with it. Don't just break off relationship. Don't cut out, just start cutting out all the toxic people in your life. I saw Babylon B this week. They posted, God decides to cut out all the toxic people of his life. 7.4 billion people missing. Like, <laughs> like right? We're, we're called to bear with one another, especially in the body. And that's what he's talking about here. And we're supposed to forgive one another. This community should look different than the rest of the world. Why? Because we have been forgiven. For greater sins. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also you are to forgive. And above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I don't just forgive for forgiveness sake. I forgive because I was forgiven. Because in my mess, in my sin, through no effort of my own, Jesus made a way for me to come to the presence of the Father and experience wholeness and completeness unlike anything that this world has to offer. That's the kind of freedom that we're talking about here. Thanks for the clapping. Second Corinthians, uh, I was in um, Portland this week at a conference and I heard this pastor shared on this verse and it really just, I think, tied this in. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. Like we don't come before God timid, wretched souls. We can come confidently before God. It is not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He made us competent to be ministers, not just the guy on the pulpit, but every one of us of a new covenant. That means to share your faith, not of the letter of the law meaning do everything right, but of the spirit of the law, meaning live in love, God first, each other secondly. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. We have a great confidence that God who began a work in us will carry it on to completion. So many things I want to say. 
And then he concludes this part of the text by saying this, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you'd also to forgive. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So that's the thing that, that's the glue that holds us all together, loving each other, even amidst our differences and our uh, disagreements, right? And he says, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Why would he just end kind of like with that idea? One, because it's an attitude of thankfulness that causes us to be people of worship. How can so many people in the Bible that endured so many awful and hard things be thankful in the midst of their suffering? Because they were seeking the things above. They were seeking the things not of this world. As a guy that has struggled with incredible depths of anxieties and depression in my life, I can say that those things have only been spurred on when I seek the things below. And there's only been real healing when I sought the things of God. So what does my life look like when I set my mind on the realities of heaven? Think about it. You know, I think every person in the room here feel some semblance of like, I need to do more. One, don't fall into the trap of the enemy to make you feel more inadequate in your walk with God. Two, yes, do more. But not out of obligation or guilt. Don't let guilt drive you. We're called to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Faith is an active lifestyle, right? But... We do it because of the hope and love that we've experienced from God. And we do it because there is a better way to live. Some of us have been making mud pies and finding ourselves deeply dissatisfied with our lives. We've taken that out on the people around us, taken that out on our own bodies, and it's time for us to seek satisfaction in deeper greater, more eternal things. That's, that's the hope of freedom in Christ, is that we're not dictated by our circumstances, but that we are empowered by the heart of God through his word. I'm going to pray for you. And um, I'm going to say this. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You just showed up because uh, somebody made you come. Or maybe you felt like you're at the end of your, like, your rope. And so you're here because of that. Um, you know, no amount of hand raises will make you a Christian any more than parking your car in a garage or standing in a garage will make you a car. But every journey begins with a first step. And so deciding that I'm going to put my old dead life behind me because it's not producing for me any of the things that I thought it should. And I'm finding deep dissatisfaction in my life and saying today, I'm going to put my heart in Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust in him and I'm going to experience a love that's greater than my own performance. Um, That's a good first step in following Christ. So maybe you're here today and you're like, I just, I want this life. I want to know greater things. Then I'm inviting you to take that step. And after the end of the service, there are going to be some people up here that want to pray with you. And I want to encourage you to don't walk out the doors uh, 
unchanged. But if you feel a great urgency to come and be prayed for, there'll be people up front here praying for you at the end of the service, and you need to come get prayed for. You see Lori over here with the, with the beanie and the pink sweat? Just let her pray for you, and you'll walk on water when you leave here. So just be ready. Just be ready. Just come and let God minister to your spirit. Okay, let me pray for us. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for how much you love and care for us. Thank you for how much you cherish us. Lord, I pray that we would be, um, that we wouldn't be better Christians, God, but that we would be satisfied by Jesus. I pray that we wouldn't just be moral people, but that we would be transformed by your love. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't hide our light, but we would shine and reflect your glory every day, everywhere we go. We love you, God, and thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for making a way where there was no way. Thank you for giving us hope and peace in the midst of chaos and calamity. And thank you for bringing clarity to our understanding of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.